I was going to go in a different direction today, and um, Holy Spirit's kind of been all week, really. Every time I kept trying to study out where I wanted to go or where I thought we were going, it just kind of hit a brick wall, just didn't feel like that was it. And uh, this morning it came to me, so I pray that this message touches you. If if it uh, if it's bad, you can blame it on Jesus because He changed it. On me, take it up with Him. Hallelujah. Uh, today I want to talk to you about the being positioned for promotion. Position for promotion. You know the. Really, all year long, I felt like I've been in, in teaching mode, instruction mode. You know, when I get up here, uh, there's a, a, a couple different approaches, different ways, different contexts that I can come to you from uh, as a pastor. Um, I can be instructional, giving direction and teaching line upon line, and and there's a need for that, and it's important to receive the instruction of the word. Uh, many times we just want the fiery stuff or we just want the showy stuff. But there's a time where God wants to instruct his children. There's a time where he wants to bring direction and he wants to help us get in alignment so that we can receive all the fiery stuff. Amen. But uh, as there is instructional, there's always inspirational. Inspiration. And uh, so today I want to come from a charging side. I want to come from an inspiring side out. Uh, inspiration moves you to action, right? You know, sometimes when you've been sitting in the classroom all day, the last thing you want to do is go do anything. But if I can fire you up, if I can inspire you, then you walk out of this door wanting to change some stuff, wanting to do some stuff. Uh, there's always change involved. Uh, so the inspirational stuff isn't, uh, you know, like a lot of people might have a perception of church or perception of inspirational messages where it just kind of makes you feel good and tingly all over and it's it's like it agrees with everything that you're already doing there's change involved regardless of if i'm instructing or if i'm inspiring usually the inspiration uh, will kind of punch you in the gut first and it'll identify all the messed up stuff and all the stuff that we don't have right and all the areas that we need to correct uh but then uh, you leave fired up and charged and encouraged uh, to go out and change some things. So here in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 19, 1 Kings 19 and verse 19, we're talking about position for promotion. In verse 19 it says, so he departed, he is Elijah. We're going to talk about two individuals, Elijah and Elisha, and um, I don't want you to confuse the two. We need to be able to separate the two today. Uh, so Elijah is currently a prophet of God. Uh, this is right after an incident here where Elijah uh, went through a little problem, went through a little issue. Uh, he saw God move on a mount called Mount Carmel. God moved mightily. God proved himself that he is God. He is strong. There's no God greater. There's no other God like him. I mean, God just showed himself mighty. Uh, Elijah by himself challenges about 400 false prophets. Prove that my God is the real God. My God is the reigning God. And so these false prophets, all day long, they're worshiping around this altar, trying to get this altar to be lit on fire, and they can't do it. 
Elijah finally says, you know, let me get in there. Let me do my thing. He shows up. I mean, he pours water all over this thing because you can't light something on fire that's soaked wet, right? And so he pours water. He's just, he's leaving no doubt. He takes trenches around this altar, fills them up with water. And uh, uh, he says, all right, God, I know that you're God, but you need to prove yourself to all these other people. And so uh, the fire of God comes down, completely ignites and consumes the altar. Everybody walks away knowing that God is God. There is no other way, right? Uh, Put to death these 400 false prophets. And then uh, the queen, Jezebel, she gets word of it and uh, sends a messenger to uh, Elijah and says, uh, you know, she's, she is outraged. She, is, she hates God. She doesn't want anything to do with God. And so uh, she sends a message to Elijah says, uh, you better get on your horse. You better run as fast as you can because by this time tomorrow I'll do the same thing to you that you did to those false prophets. And uh, he is... Uh, in absolute depression mode, right? We talked about this a while back. We talked about how quickly we forget uh, our recent victory in light of tomorrow's problem. I mean, all she did was send word. All she did was say. It's just a threat at this point. How many times do we believe the enemy's threat over God's promise? Amen, come on. Talking to somebody in this room. You know God's moved in your life. You know that you've seen him move time and time again, victory after victory. But yet the problem that's in front of you seems bigger than the promise behind you. Okay? So it's all about perspective. So he goes and he hides out and he's in depression mode. And then God God shows him a few things. God does a few things to set him free and say, look, I promise I'm still faithful. I'm still true. The same God that consumed that altar is going to see you through this issue. Amen. And so uh, moves them to action. But now here we are. We're on the tail end of that. And it says, so he departed from there, Elijah, and found Elisha. He departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. So he's at the rear of the rear. Hey, he's all the way at the back of this thing. You know, let's just try to get a picture, a mental image for a moment that you are plowing dirty, nasty ground. You're farming with, with, with 12 oxen, 12 smelly, stinky, pooping oxen in front of you. And you're at the back of the back. I mean, you can't even see anything in front of you because you're looking at the rear end of oxen. I mean, oxtail, this is it right here. There's nothing else. In front of you, you don't have any direction. You don't have any guidance. I mean, you're you're just you're at the back of this thing. And Elijah passed by him, and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, "Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you." And he said to him, "Go back again, for what have I done to you?" So Elisha, turning back from him. And took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. And so here we have Elisha just doing his job, just doing his duty, just going through life. 
doing the routine, the mundane, the normal, the consistent. You know, the, the, the reason why I feel the Lord placed this on me is today's the first day of a new quarter. It's the first 90 days of the year. And I don't know about you. I probably know about you. I probably know that you set out this year with some great achievements and some great ideas and, and uh, you know, probably a checklist of things that you wanted to accomplish and do and see done and see happen in your life this year. Uh, you know, we call them New Year's revolutions, I mean resolutions, New Year's reservations, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, I don't know how you're doing with that. I don't know how you feel you're doing 90 days in. Probably not running on time like we were January 1st. Probably not having the same passion and the same pursuit that we were the first week of January. You know, you're probably not in the gym as much. Probably not reading the word as much. Probably not praying as much. Probably not uh, uh, saving as much. Probably already dipped into the savings by this point. I mean, it's the first 90 days. It doesn't take very long, guys, for us to abandon the thing uh, that we were so passionate about in the beginning. Passionate. So if that's you, that's who I'm talking to. If that's not you and you've got everything, I mean, you're just straight as an arrow. You're doing better than you thought you were. Great. Good for you. You can pack up and go ahead and walk on out. Then I don't have anything to say to you. But I'm staying in the room because I'm in the same category. The same category. And it's, it's you know, I was asking this question this morning, you know, as I was Going over today's message, uh, what is the purpose? Purpose. Like does purpose have a purpose? We all know that we have a purpose. We all know that God's given us a purpose. I'm going to need uh, some batteries here. Oh, you're already on it. Purpose. That's the first key is discovering the purpose. That's the first step is discovering the purpose. Y'all know that. It's written on a wall back out here in this. That's all we talk about at this church is purpose. Because if you don't know the why for something, if you don't know the purpose for something, you'll abuse it and misuse it. You'll misuse it. I can go and I can kill bugs all day with this microphone and destroy the microphone. 
And I can't get mad because the microphone's breaking on me and because it's, it's, it's no longer working for its intended purpose because I'm misusing it and abusing it for something it was never intended to do or design or be capable of doing. Fulfilling a role. It wasn't designed to smash bugs. It was designed to carry my voice a little bit louder. Uh, really, I don't even need it in this room. The reason I carry a microphone is so we can record this stuff so you can go back and listen to it. That's the purpose of putting it on the Internet. The purpose of putting it on the Internet is not so that people that don't attend our church can listen to me and say, oh, yeah, I attend church. No, you don't. You listen to a message. You don't attend church. You're not serving anywhere. You're not involved. You're not getting connected with the body of Christ. You're disconnected. And so then we end up misusing the airwaves and misusing the Internet for a purpose it was never designed to do. It was designed for people to go back and meditate on something and rehear something and reiterate something and stir up something because maybe you didn't get all the notes in this message and maybe you didn't write it all down and didn't get it all right the first time. Maybe you're like me and I've got to hear it a couple times and I've got to repeat it and I've got to stay in it and I've got to look at it. That's the purpose of it. That's the purpose. The purpose is not so people can stay home and then listen to me on Mondays and think they're just as connected with AFC as anybody else that just showed up on Sunday morning. But we abuse when we don't know the purpose. Abuse is inevitable. You abuse medication when you don't know the purpose for it. You abuse a handgun when you don't know the purpose for it. You abuse your spouse when you don't know the purpose for them. You abuse your job when you don't know the purpose for a job. You abuse money when you don't know the purpose for money. You abuse time when you don't know the purpose for time. You abuse your boss when you don't know the purpose for your boss. You abuse whatever you don't know the purpose for. If I don't know why I have it, I will misuse it. So we've got to solve the purpose issue. But I believe purpose has a purpose. I believe the purpose of purpose is to ignite passion. I can't be passionate about something if I don't have a purpose for it. You've got to be passionate. I see purposeful people run dry all the time. I'm in ministry. And one of our little uh, favorite words in ministry is burnout. I mean, I'm burned out on hearing the word burnout. I hear it so much. I mean, I've been in ministry now almost 10 years in full-time ministry, about eight and a half years. And I've been hearing that word since before I got in. Burnout. They got purpose. They might have forgotten the purpose. They might have put the purpose aside or, or they might have gotten off track of the purpose. But they, they're purposeful people. I mean, they show up every Sunday. Right? You got a job. You go to work every Monday. You go to work every week. Doing your job. Fulfilling your title. Fulfilling your assignment. But are you doing it with passion? Are we doing it with passion? See... We've got a man named Elisha. Got a man named Elisha here that is just in the mundane, the regular, the monotonous, the routine. It says the very first statement says that Elijah found him. It says Elijah departed from there and found Elisha. He found him. Elisha didn't find Elijah. Elijah found Elisha. 
See, the problem is, is we get so sick and tired of the monotonous and the routine and the things that we do that we end up trying to find it rather than letting it find us. And that's who I'm talking to today. See, there's nothing wrong with routine. In fact, uh, routine and the regimen and is, is the discipline that a lot of people don't have today. Most people will uproot themselves and not allow the routine to take place. Right? That's why they call it a honeymoon stage, because a honeymoon doesn't last 20 years. You stay married 20 years because you stay with the routine and the consistency and maybe a little bit of monotony, right? And maybe a little bit of uh, every day looking the same and maybe a little bit. But it, 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 it's doing the routine with passion that changes what it brings to me. There's a difference now. We're living in a world today, we've become undisciplined. The second we don't like something, the second we bump up against something that we disagree with or we don't like, we abandon it. We abandon it. My son's playing baseball right now. I'm coaching his team. And he's in it. You signed up, bro. I mean, you may not have physically signed up. I may have signed you up. But I signed up at your permission because I asked him. He didn't have to play baseball just because I love baseball. As much as I love baseball, as much as I would, I'd probably go in the other room and cry if he told me he didn't want to play baseball, to be honest with you. But that'd be horrible. But I'm not going to make him. I'm not going to be that dad. Living vicariously through my son, winning championships and that I could never do and making money I could never. You're going to take care of me, son. I'm not going to do that. But he comes to me halfway through the year and says, I'm tired. I don't want to play anymore. Well, too bad. Why? Because I'm not going to ingrain in you that we just get up and quit something that we've committed ourselves to and uproot and just, ah, you know. Because then you'll do that to your marriage, and you'll do that to your job, and you'll do that to your schooling, and you'll do that to your friends, and you'll do that to your churches. That's what people do. Uproot, disconnect, because I don't like it anymore. It doesn't feel good. I disagree with that. I don't, I, we don't see eye to eye. You know, that, we might disagree, but I don't have to disconnect. I may disagree with my wife on several things, but I'm not disconnecting from my wife either. I'm in it for the long haul. Because that don't mean anything anymore today anyway. But we uproot. We're, we're not disciplined to see ourselves through hard times. We're not disciplined to do the routine. So there, the routine is necessary. The routine is, is required. I would like to see more people do the routine. Like when you think you've done it long enough, I'm looking to see if you'll do it just a little bit longer. And I think that God does the same thing in our lives. Because we all love promotion. We all love promotion. I mean, you know, most of you are probably relating that to the line of work or the field that you're in. If you want to be promoted, I got military in here. But, I mean, promotion means more stars. Promotion means a higher paycheck. Promotion means I've got uh, more influence. Promotion means I'm in charge of more. Promotion means the assignment is broader. 
You might want promotion so you can do less. You might want promotion so you can do more. But we think of promotion as the position rather than being positioned for promotion. Like, if I can get there, I can, rather than saying I can so I can get there. See, the question is, is a lot of times we are asking God, what are you getting ready for me? But I think God wants us to be more of a position of, God, what are you getting me ready for? Rather than, what are you getting ready for me? I go to prepare a place to you. I mean, we, we all love that verse. We just think about gold streets and mansions and just Jesus up there slaving away on our mansions all day long. But what is, rather than what is he preparing for you, what is he preparing you for? What's he, get, what's he getting you ready for? What's he positioning you for? Maybe he's not positioning you Maybe he's not positioning a position for you, but maybe he's positioning you for the position. Maybe there's work you've got to do here so that you can get there. Just maybe there is something I've got to do at this current level that will position me for promotion. And so we have Elisha here who is in position. His friends might disagree. His family might disagree. But he is positioned for promotion. He's positioned for what else does God have for me? What else is there? Where else are you taking me? But here's what happens, guys. Many times our search for what's next causes us to abandon what's now. Because we're out there trying to find it, and we let go of what we have in our possession right now. You're out there seeking for the next thing, and you've abandoned what he's already put in your position, what he's already positioned for you now. I've even talked to people, you know, recently that they believe, you know, God's getting them ready for something. They believe uh, that, that, that there is... Uh, a, a next level that there's a something's coming, something's changing. There's there, there, the, you know, the new position, new job, uh, uh, new direction in life. I, I don't know, just whatever people are going through. But my encouragement to them is always do not seek what is next at the compromise of what's now. The worst thing you could do in waiting for God to move you to the next level is let go of what you have now. That's the worst thing you could do. Start showing up to work late now and start acting like you don't care now. I don't care if you have it in your sights. I don't care if you know when that's going to happen. You ought to work until the last day like you did when you showed up on the first day. Jesus had a firm rebuke over in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. For the church at Ephesus. These things, says he, verse 1, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Boy, they're working. They're working it. I know your labor. I know your patience. 
And you cannot bear those who are evil. I mean, these sound like good commendations to me. He sounds like he's setting them up for, you know, this is it. I'm cheering you on. You guys are doing awesome. I, I don't got anything for you. They're working. They're laboring. They're holding true to the standard of the word of God. They, they, they cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So they're operating, operating in what we've been talking about the last several weeks of discernment. They've even uh, trained themselves, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 5, to discern between good and evil, between a lie and truth. They've trained themselves. They're of what we would call maturity. They're mature believers, this church at Ephesus. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. They haven't become weary. But look what it says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. No, no, we got it. Where's verse 4? I need verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. All the work, all the labor, all, all, the, all the pressing, all the persevering, all the patience, all, all the standards that you're keeping. But there, there's one thing I have against you. You have left your first love. So what's he saying? It's not that you quit doing it. It's how you quit doing it. It's not that you stopped. It's not that you're still pressing. It's not that you're still pushing. It's not that you're still persevering. It's not that you're still endeavoring. It's not that you're still purposeful in your day-to-day. It's not that you're fulfilling the task and the assignment. But it's, 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 that it's, it's not from the heart. You're doing it with your hands rather than from your heart. And God is not concerned with what you do with your hands more than he is with what you do from your heart. You've abandoned. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Verse 5. Verse 5. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. You mean remove the lampstand from the church that's working, from the church that's laboring, from the church that's patient, from the church that cannot bear those who are evil, from the church that has tested those who are apostles and are not and have found them lies? Yes, yes, I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So it's not about what we do on the outside. It's about how we do it on the inside. It's the passion. It's the passion. So Elisha is positioned for promotion by doing the regular, doing the mundane, doing the, the normal, doing the stuff that everybody else would, would, see, would, would neglect, would abandon, would become lax in. But I, I, I'm talking to people today that you, you kind of enjoy it. You enjoy the routine because you know what every day is going to look like. You enjoy the, the familiarity because you, you don't want to wander out in uncharted territories. You turn down things. You, you turn down opportunities to go further because, you know, this is the thing, guys. 
We have allowed the world to define our work ethic rather than God. This is where a lot of us will get messed up because the, the, the world believes in a word called retirement. Garbage. Garbage. This, this, I mean, if this American, it's the American mentality, American mindset to work as hard as you can so one day you can work as little as possible and do nothing. I'll, I'll work as hard as I can right now so one day I can get to an age where I can sit back and do nothing. You were never designed to do nothing. I don't care if you're 89 years old. Never. And God's the one that defined work in the first place. The first thing he told Adam and Eve to do was go work. Not to lay around in grass naked, eating fruit and just enjoying one another. But that's the world's image of paradise. That's the world's image of if everything was perfect, we'd all be sitting around, you know, sitting on the lawn, looking at trees and naming animals and eating fruit. Give me a break. He said, tend the garden. He said, keep it. Safeguard it. Make sure things are fruitful and multiplying. There's work involved. There's work involved here. But we've allowed the world to, I mean, we don't even understand concept of time anymore. Because time dictates everything. Time tells us where to be and when to do it and how long we did. What, what if the job required you to do it from nine to seven instead of nine to five? It's amazing how we turn things off at five o'clock. Turn things off when we check out. Turn things off when we clock out. That's not the kind of work that God's calling us to do. Work is perpetual. Work is consistent. Now, I'm not telling you to be a workhorse and abandon everything in your life and just stay at work till midnight. It's obviously not what I'm saying. I'm talking about your approach. I'm, talk, I'm talking about how do you keep the fire and how do you keep the passion even in the midst of the monotonous? How do you hear from God and be directed? I mean, just this past week I heard testimonies from people. That through their jobs, through their assignments, they're being an influence for the kingdom of God. I had an individual just this morning tell me that he's been reading a book and he loves the book so much and thinks that it's such a powerful book that, that he's going to give it to his boss. How many other people are thinking that mentality? I'm going to help my boss out. Most people want to keep their boss sold short. Not how can I help you get over in life. That's a different mentality. That's going to work, not recognizing I'm not here for a paycheck. I'm charging you today. I'm charging you. We got college students in this room today that believe that they're working four years so they can find a job that they, they can they can they can work up a retirement so that one day when they hit that mark that we can just set back and, 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 and let me retire as soon as possible. Let me do as much as I can now so one day I can do as little. You, you, won't, you, you might look successful to the world. You might look successful in man's eyes. You might look like you got it all together on the outside, but God is saying, I've got more of a purpose. I didn't call you to go to that job to make a paycheck anyways. When people tell me that they're not happy at their job, I look at them and I tell them, good, it's not supposed to make you happy. Show me one place in the Bible where it, sell, where it tells me that my job dictates my emotional state. 
No, I believe the word tells me that I can have joy by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, regardless of my surroundings and ongoings around me. I don't care what problem, situation, or circumstance you're stuck in. Your emotional state can be defined by the fruit of the Spirit. Not by a paycheck, not by how much I'm making, not by how much I'm bringing in, not by, well, this is how they treat me. This is what they're doing to me. This is kingdom work. This is kingdom business. Passion. I can't stand believers and Christians that want to live without passion. We ought to be the most passionate people on the face of the planet. I mean, come on. The world's going to be more passionate than you? A stadium full of spectators, fans, that have nothing to do with the outcome of a game, are whipping the church every weekend in decibels, shouting louder, moving faster, jumping higher, standing in line, paying much higher prices for tickets than probably your tithe is. You know why? Passion. This is real today. This is real today. But when I say, say the name of Jesus, when Robert's saying, just say that name, just say that name, you stand there stone cold staring at a screen until somebody else sings it. We can't open our mouths and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has paid the ultimate price so you could stand there and even say his name. Why is Saturday afternoon louder than Sunday morning? They'll stand in line. They'll play. They will stand in the snow. And you, they realize, no, I don't care how loud you shout. I don't care how, how loud you're screaming at that television. They can't hear you, and they don't care. The outcome of that game will happen whether you show up or not. Yet you can get in this place. You can open your mouth. You can shout the loudest you can. And you can actually affect change in your life. You can actually defeat the enemy right here by opening your mouth, raising your hands. We can actually change the outcome. But we don't do a thing. There's no passion. No passion. It's monotonous. This is what I do. I go to church every Sunday. It's what I do. I go to work. Got Christians going into the workplace. Just as least passionate as the world. You complain about your job just as much as they do about theirs. You got Christians going to the workplace demanding a higher salary or I'm out the door. Just like the world does. And you want to cut yourself off from the very purpose that God has created you to fulfill over another dollar an hour. See, every position requires passion. Every position. Why in the world would God promote you to the next position when you don't have any passion at your current position? I'm not talking about performance. I don't care if you're the number one salesman in the company every month. 
guys, we're talented, gifted beings. You want to be good at something, you could be good at something. The world is full of people that are good at stuff without ever relying on God to help them through it. So I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about a lifestyle every day. You are just oozing passion. People, and this is the thing. If complacent people feel comfortable around you, you're probably not as passionate as you should be. Because passionate people make complacent people uncomfortable. You get around apathetic people and they feel threatened by you. If lazy, complacent, apathetic people get around you and they feel just as comfortable uh, uh, being next to you as they do, then you're probably not living with any passion. There's no fire there. Because complacent people hate people that are passionate. I've seen it happen in churches. I've seen it happen in churches, sitting next to a an individual that's shouting everything I say. Amen, pastor. Keep going, pastor. You're thinking, quit saying keep going. He won't shut up. I'm trying to get out of here and go to lunch. Right? You're just thinking, if that lady would stop telling him to keep going. Right? It happens. You get your, you get your eyes off of the one that we ought to be worshiping, you get your eyes on the one that's just worshiping a little bit louder than you are. Yeah, because passionate people threaten complacent people. They do. There should be something different between you and the one in the cubicle next to you. Doing the same job, doing the same routine. You're, you're both plowing. But how, how do we get to promotion? How do we get to promotion? How do we get past? See, I, I find it interesting here that uh, Elisha, it says that he's driving oxen. He's driving. He's pushing. He's pushing. But th- this is a participation that's taking place. This, is a, this, is, this isn't Jesus take the wheel. Because here's what I've discovered in my life, that God can't draw from those that won't drive. God can't draw from those that won't drive. You know, I consider it one of my greatest privileges, greatest honors with our leadership team. I tell them all the time, I'm here to draw potential out of you. I'm here to pull potential. I'm here to pull stuff out of you you didn't even know was there. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, you better find one. Because you can push all day long, but until you have someone that can pull, you got to have the push and the pull. You got to have the drive and the draw. And I can't draw from people that won't drive. You don't have a drive, you don't have a work ethic, you don't have any push in you, I can't pull anything. But when I get around someone that I, ha- that I see has drive, when I get around someone that I see is willing to push a little bit, now I can draw something out of them. When you run dry on your passion, I, can, I run dry on my pull. 
when you run dry on, on your drive, God doesn't have anything to draw. See, Elisha is driving, pushing the oxen. Make, I mean, he's doing the sweaty work. He's doing the dirty work. He's doing the monotonous work. He's doing the routine. He's doing the familiar. He can do this with his eyes closed. He knows this process. He knows this routine. He knows how to get this field plowed. He, know, he can do that. And he's probably doing it, and he's, he's, he's honored to do it, privileged to do it. Great. But that's not what got him to the next level was him searching and finding and seeking. It was the draw of the Holy Spirit on a man named Elijah that came by and threw his mantle on him and said, come with me. The Holy Spirit's the one that drew him. But he had to first be driving, had to first be pushing before the Holy Spirit could pull. Push and a pull. Some of us are sitting around. We're trying to do all the drawing. We're trying to do all the pulling. Wonder why we're not getting anywhere. Wonder why we're not seeing anything change. Wonder why everything looks the same. Wondering why nobody notices all my hard work. Wondering why nobody notices how much time I put in. Wondering why uh, my, my spouse doesn't recognize all the love that I'm giving them. I don't even have to be doing all this. I shouldn't even be doing all this, but I, but I am. I'm doing it, and I hope one day they notice. No, you do it to the Lord. First Corinthians tells us you work as unto the Lord, not unto man. Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians 3. Colossians says you work as unto the Lord. Employers, employees, you work as under the Lord. Husbands, love your spouse, not on your own level, not on what you deem love is, not what you determine, not what you define as love. You love your spouse as Christ loved the church. He set a high standard. High standard. So we're trying to do all the drawing, and God's saying, I don't need you to draw. I just need you to drive, and if you'll drive, I'll draw. If you push, I'll pull. Is this helping anybody? There's a push and a pull. There's a a drive and a draw. There's a drive. And a draw. How are you going to get to the rest of this year? How are you going to see the, the things that God's placed on your heart that he's, he's purposed you for? How, how are you going to see that purpose come to fruition? The, the thing that I've, I've recognized that, that there, there is no, there's not a plentiful harvest until you plow the ground. We try to reap a harvest from, from ground we've never plowed. Plowing takes work. See, the funny thing about this passage is, uh, you know, Elisha probably thinks he's plowing the physical ground, but it's really his heart that's getting plowed. It's really his heart that's getting worked on. And God's looking and saying, how are you handling the normal stuff? How are you handling the ordinary? Because that's going to tell me what you'll do with the extraordinary. 
how you handling the familiar? Because that's what that's what'll tell me what what you'll do when no one's looking tells me what you'll do when everyone's looking. Private obedience leads to public victory. Private obedience. See, this is the time of year where we get worn down. This is the time. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You may have even just abandoned looking at the checklist anymore at this point. You said, forget it. I was going to break that habit. I've already done, gotten past that. I broke it on January 3rd. I was going to save this money, but forget it. I've spent everything that was in savings and even what wasn't there. I was going to work on my marriage, but forget it. I mean, that's, that, that's pretty much done. That's over. This is the point in time where we get weary. I'm charging you today. I'm charging you today. You can't stop pushing. You can't stop driving. You can't come out of the unpopular. You can't abandon the mundane. You can't neglect the familiar. You've got a job to do. You've got a purpose to fulfill. We've got an assignment to accomplish. And we only work when we're at the high. When we're at the low, we're a completely different person. When, we, when we're at the high, when we know everyone's looking, when we know that this will yield a great result, and we, we fail to recognize the small things, we fail to recognize the little opportunities, we fail to recognize that, that Jesus sees it all. God has never turned his eye away from you. He, he, he doesn't, you can't get God's attention because he always has your attention. Hey, God, I'm over here. Hey, God, I, I got this going. Hey, God, this thing, you can't get his attention. He's never, he, he knows every hair on your head. What are you trying to get his attention for? I was just talking with an individual today, or not not today, uh, this past week, talking about fasting. And they were they were saying that you know it's just it's just weird you know when I fast it just seems like I, I get responses quicker I get re- trust me you're not getting his attention when you fast he's getting your attention when you fast because you're the one that's got to shut off everything you're the one that's got to put Facebook down you're the one that's got to turn off the television and turn off the news you're the one that's got to stop listening to all the friends that are leading you astray anyways you're the one that's got to stop and you've got to get alone with him he's not distracted. He's not unfocused. You can't confuse God. Somebody else's problem doesn't get more attention than yours. The question is, is does he have your attention more than theirs? Well, God, why are they getting it? Why, why are they getting their miracle? And here I am over here. And I'm just, no. They're getting theirs because they didn't stop pushing. Quit pushing. You quit driving. We wonder why there's no draw. Wonder why there's no draw. The greatest draw is when there's a greatest drive. The easiest times uh, that I have ministering is when the people are pushing. So sometimes, I just be honest with you, I have to work. I have to come in here and do a little more work. 
than other times. Because you're half asleep. Or there was a time change the night before. That's always a rough one. And the Sunday after Thanksgiving, man, they might as well just shut the doors. Everybody walking in here with tur- turkey comas. I got to do a little more work. But then there's sometimes, man, this place is just charged. This place is just ready. So you know, you know that's why we do worship first, right? You know, there's, there's no textbook out there. There's no rule book that says thou shalt do worship prior to the ministering of the word. It doesn't say that. I could come in here and boom, 1030 a.m., you could walk in the door, find a seat, be quiet, and let me preach. And then we'll just do worship later. But we do worship at the beginning not to give you time to run late. We do worship first, give you an opportunity to open up your heart so when I get up here, I don't have to do as much work because you've already opened your heart to the king. That's what worship does. Worship is submission. Worship is a position that says, I yield everything that I have to you. You are great. You are mighty. You are king. You are Lord. And anything you have to see, say, I will receive it and put it into practice. And then we sit down and now you're in a position to receive. That's what worship is. But when you don't respond and when you don't participate, I got to work a little harder. See, I'm getting ready to go down to a conference in about two weeks in St. Augustine, Florida. And, and, and Pastor told me, he told me, I was down there Monday with Pastor Earl, and I told him, or he, he told me, he said, you will have the easiest time ministering when you minister that word. I can't wait. We'll blow the doors off that place. Because there's expectation. See, you get what you expect. You go in Monday morning, and you expect monotony. Well, you get it. You, you, you apply the word. Ooh, you work and you labor. With your spouse, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them love, but I know they're not gonna respond. I, I know it's not gonna change them, but, but God, I'm doing Your word. He's not impressed. He's not impressed. That's when He speaks up and says, um, "You have a little more work to do. Let's stop worrying about them and let's start working on." You think you're impressing them. You think you're, oh, I'm just going to do, you know, we do that to God. God, I'm going to do your word. Just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show you that they're not going to respond. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to show you it doesn't work. Camden will do that to me. Six years old, he'll do that to me. Can't do it, Dad. I just can't do it, but I'll just show you. Show me. Go ahead. That's when I'll tell him, the reason you're not getting it done isn't because you're not doing the right thing. It's because your attitude stinks. trying to impress me? I, I already know you can do it. I already know that part. Amen. Quiet in this Episcopalian church this morning. That's all right. That's just because you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. 
You don't get to the next level by complaining about the current one. Mm. Passion. Passion. Purpose without passion is pointless. Guys, if you'd come up. Purpose without passion is pointless. What's the point of purpose? I almost titled this message that. What's the point of purpose? The point of purpose is to ignite passion. Just because there's purpose doesn't mean you get the job done. Just because there's purpose doesn't. I can show you countless times in this word. Countless times. People had purpose. People had purpose. They knew it was a promised land. Those Israelites, they knew. But you wander around in a wilderness after 40 years, uh, some passion's going to get a little burnt out, isn't it? It's going to start to wane. This is not this is not God's show. It's not God's just get out of the way and let me do my thing. He says, I need you in the way. I need you in my way. I need you doing what I've called you to do. And I need you doing it with all your heart. With all your heart. Whatever assignment that is. Not everybody's going to have a pulpit. In fact, the majority won't. Most individuals that work the day-to-day cut me off when I start having conversations like this because I'm supposed to be passionate. Because I preach. think it's automatic. This isn't automatic. Think I wake up every Sunday wanting to be here? Think You think I ever wake up on a Sunday and say, you know what, I would just love to just sleep. Right? I just, I just, let me sleep in once. Somebody else preach. I never have people. I only have people preach for me. We are. I only have people preach for me when I'm preaching somewhere else where I'm doing something else. I don't ever have somebody preach. I'm tired, man. I, I need somebody else to do it. There's pastors that do that. There's pastors that will literally, I need a day off. Day off. That's one day. One day now, in all of eternity, on my little sliver that I'm given, the little 120 years that I'm guaranteed to be on this planet. And I'm going to cut a day out of that? I mean, that's like, that's like someone presenting to you a pizza, and then they give you one slice and say, oh, uh, I'm going to cut that in half too. Why would I want to cut down what's already limited? Why would I want to cut down what's already small? Why would I want to cut down that's already as minimal as it can get? 
want to be as purposeful as I can. I want to do as much as I can for the kingdom of God. Purpose. But purpose requires passion. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know who this is for today. I don't know. But it's for somebody. It's for somebody. Spirit do what he does. I've done what I can do. Let him work. Let him move. Let him prompt. Let him yield. Uh, He'll show you stuff. He'll show you areas. Say, Pastor, that's a really convicting message. Good. What isn't confronted doesn't change. Conviction brings change. Conviction brings change. Allow him to. To some of you, 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 you've cut him off from rebuking. You've cut him off from convicting. You're not even letting him fulfill the very role that he was assigned to do. wonder why things aren't different. Wonder why we're not going anywhere. Wonder why things aren't progressing. Conviction by the Holy Spirit. Change. You change what you can. And let God change what He can. But I've learned this. That God, He will do what only He can do. But he won't do what only you can do. He won't touch it. He won't even go there. He's not going to force himself in. He's not going to break down the door. He's not going to push past the barriers and the walls and the limits that you have built. You're going to have to pull it down. You're going to have to start pushing again. You're going to have to start driving again. You're going to have to get your passion back. You're going to have to put passion in its place. You're going to have to take the passion, the passion, the passion, and allow it to fuel and ignite your purpose. Father, I thank you for every person in the sound of my voice this morning. I thank you that we walk out of here with a, with a renewed passion. Renewed passion. Renewed passion. We're not just passionate on day one. We don't just show up on time for the first week. We don't just walk in love during the honeymoon. We don't just, we don't just have excitement and joy uh, when they first hire us. We are just as passionate on the last day as we were on the first day. There will be no difference. The world will not be able to tell the difference. Whether this is my first day or my last day.
we will not be passed by. We yield to the draw. We give ourselves to the pull of the Holy Spirit. And we push, and we push, and we drive, and we drive, and we push, and we drive. So that you can draw. So you can pull out of us what we didn't even know was there. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Ushers are moving now. If you need an offering envelope, just raise your hand. Ushers will be quick to get one to you. Giving. 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 Hallelujah. I don't I don't ask for money. Never have, never will. I don't care how bad we would need it. I just give you an opportunity. I just give you an opportunity. Listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we become routine even in our giving. Place it. Even in sowing financially. You know, I remember when I got to a place in my life where the tithe was easy. Sure, I was honoring God and honoring His Word. 10%, no problem. Piece of cake. But then the Lord dealt with me. He said, What if I ask for a little bit more? He doesn't want your finance. He doesn't even need your finance. He wants your faith. And if you take a step, even in honoring God's word, without utilizing faith, he's not honored by that. He's not honored by that. Sometimes we just obey for the sheer act of obedience. And we forget the purpose of our obedience. We forget that our our obedience is supposed to be walking this thing out step by step in faith. Faith meaning I don't know what the next thing is. Faith meaning is I don't see it. I don't know how it can take place. But God, you're going to have to show up. That's God. That's how he works. He says you can't even please me. It's impossible to please God without faith. We think he's pleased by sacrifice. We think he's pleased by just obedience for the sake of obedience. But he's bigger than that. He's mightier than that. He doesn't want you to obey. Let me put it this way. When you obey without faith, you're just in compliance. He never asked for your compliance. He asked for your sacrifice. He asks that you obey Him even when it's difficult. Right? I have anybody that has employees that work under them. Anybody in this room? Nobody. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. You know the difference when someone's submitting and someone's complying. Right? You know the difference when they're just going through the motions 
and they get the job done for the sake of getting the job done, but you know the heart wasn't there, the attitude was absent, the, everything about it was like, I need to do something about this, and you think that we can just let it go because you got the task done. Sorry. Well, God's no different. He's not looking for our compliance. He's not looking for us just to fall in line. He's looking for our faith. Looking for our faith. So you have an opportunity to give. Give by faith. Let God move in your life. Let God move in your life. And He'll show up when we operate by faith. Father, we give you this time. We give you this tithe. We give you this offering. We participate according to your word and according to your will. And we honor your word. And we know that when we honor your word, you will honor your word. We know that when we hold ourselves to your word, you will hold yourself to your word. You're only as good as your word. And we know the promises. We know the value in sowing and investing financially. It's not our finances that you want. It's not our treasure that you want. But you said in your word, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So you can't get our heart until you get our treasure. Father, we thank you for this time that we can honor you. We give you glory and praise for all that we're going to see you do in and through our lives and in and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. Look at your neighbors. God is good. Y'all too quiet. Y'all are too quiet. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Hallelujah. You can smile. It's okay. Some of y'all look like you just got a spanking or something. Hallelujah. I've got a few announcements that I want to make known to you. Uh, I do want to let you know that conference that I just mentioned, the Kingdom Rise Conference, will be in uh, St. Augustine, Anchor Faith Church, St. Augustine, April uh, 10th through the 13th, April 10th through the 13th. Uh, if you can get off, take off, be down there with us, even just for a few days, we would love to see you, love to have you. Um, it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, to to be together and to be around the word. Uh, But I do want to let you know something here in Valdosta. We will not have midweek service April 12th. April 12th, all right? Uh, So 4-12, that Wednesday night, because of uh, what's going on in St. Augustine, we want to make that uh, available to as many people here as possible. We will not have midweek service on April 12th. We'll have midweek service this week. Uh, but then next week we will not. Um, we have a kickball tournament coming up. There, the uh, local South Georgia uh, deaf community uh, here in South Georgia, they are hosting a beneficiary uh, uh, kickball tournament, raising money for their organization. And so we want to get involved. Problem is we got to have 10 people sign up, 10 people sign up. And so I know that my wife has already been kind of Facebooking people, seeing who might be involved, but here's what I need from you. Your word is not good enough. Your dollar will go a lot further. So we need you to do two things. I need you to go to the back 
and physically sign up, physically put your name down, and pay the $10. Pay the $10. That's the whole reason they're doing it, okay? Uh, so those are the two steps that you need to take uh, to let us know uh, that you want to get involved with the little kickball tournament. We're going to end up having our own team for Anchor Faith Church. We'll probably tear everybody up. It's not even fair, but that's okay. We're going to have a great time doing it. But we need you to sign up, and we need you to sign up quickly because uh, April 15th is only two uh, weeks away. Uh, so we need you to do that quickly. If you know today I can be there, do it. If you uh, can pay today, then just see one of our ushers, and they will uh, make, they know where to put all that and make sure that we get it set aside for you. Uh, what else do we have? Young adults, our young adults, college and career. Uh, we're going to be doing Easter at the Ellenbergs, uh, Chase and Elizabeth's home, on Easter Sunday following service. Can you believe it's already Easter? My goodness. It's already Easter. Uh, April 16th, following service that morning, uh, they're going to be doing lunch at their house. Um, and then, uh, last thing, real quick. Uh, we are going to have a child dedication. Uh, we're going to do a, a child dedication on Mother's Day this year. I believe it's May 14th this year, May 14th. We don't have the sign-up sheet and all that stuff completed just yet, uh, but we'll have that out for you next week. But just to let you know, if you recently had a child, or, and we call it child dedication, not baby dedication, because I don't care if they're 17 years old. You want to dedicate them to the Lord. There's no better time to do it uh, than now. So um, child dedication will be uh, on Mother's Day, Sunday, May 14th. So be looking for more information um, for that as well. Hallelujah. Y'all been blessed today? Good. Amen. Uh, We love y'all. We appreciate you being here. If this is your first time with us, please come back to the corner over here. Uh, I want to shake your hand. I want to talk to you. Uh, My wife is serving next door. Otherwise, she would be with me as well. Uh, But we're just honored and blessed to have you with us today and uh, i'd love to have an opportunity to meet you and greet you so uh i hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend rest of your week and uh, we'll see you back here wednesday night 7 p.m for midweek and next sunday 10 30 a.m